everybody. Dave here with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard of probate real estate investing? Before I met today's guest, I was kind of aware of it, sort of, maybe. I, I kind of knew what probate was in the sense that um, both my parents have passed away and, and I've had to go through those kind of situations. But when it comes to real estate investing, I really didn't have a clue until I learned a bit more about this from today's guest, Sharon Bornholt, who is a very accomplished real estate entrepreneur. You wouldn't know it for looking at her, but she's been investing in real estate since 1998. She's done a variety of different strategies, you know, all the way from being a buy and hold landlord to wholesaling. She's been in the ups and the downs of the real estate business. She's a very accomplished, not just real estate investor, but she's also a podcast host. I've had the Pleasure of being interviewed on her podcast. I believe, Sharon, you run a, a meetup group or an organization revolved around women investing in real estate. Mm-hmm. You're very, very active in Louisville, which is where I believe you're based. Mm-hmm. So, Sharon, welcome back to the show. We have we had an interview with you way, way back. Episode, episode 54, I believe it was. And now we're on episode 300 and something. So it's been way too long since we've had a mm-hmm. conversation. Great to see you again. I- I agree. That was a that was a while back. <laughs> Time flies in the world of podcasting, <laughs> doesn't it? So anyhow, Sharon, welcome. And today we're going to take a little bit deeper dive into what is probate when it comes to real estate investing. So if somebody's really kind of like I was and kind of had a vague idea of what probate was, but no clue about this in regards to real estate investing, how would you explain it to an absolute newbie? What's what's your definition? Well, probate is a legal process that takes place when someone passes away. And in the world, it's a cycle of life. People are born and people pass away. What happens is the people that are left behind often get stuck with a property, often a distressed property that they need to sell. The thing that I like to tell people to think about, and not in a strange way, is that they truly have a never-ending stream of leads of people that we are <laughs> that we are able to help. Because, yeah. you know, in this legal process, someone passes away and then it's decided, I call them the decision maker, the probate's opened, and then it's decided who's going to be the executor that mm-hmm. would have been named in the will or the administrator. And that person is tasked with selling the property and any other assets in the estate that have not been directly willed. Mm -hmm. This is a a chance where these people, if you stop and think about it for a minute, they're stuck. They they can't go on with their lives because they've got this enormous job of settling this estate, as you know. It's a job and they just want to get it over with. They want to inherit what they get to inherit. Mm -hmm. But as real estate investors, we have the unique opportunity to jump in there and help these people that in this process. And I tell people, Dave, I've gotten more hugs at probate closings. And that is the absolute truth. They are so so grateful. That that brings up a good point, Sharon, because I'm sure you've come across this where people kind of assume that this is a predatory type Mm -hmm. thing that we're taking advantage of these Mm -hmm. poor folks and they're you know, in their moment of weakness or their moment Mm -hmm. of sadness as tragedies happen in their lives. And unfortunately, there are people who do it that way. They give Mm -hmm. everybody in the in the industry a bad name, just like rent to own, just like investing Mm -hmm. notes and tax liens, tax deeds, pretty much anything 
there are mm-hmm. a few bad apples that are predatory. So how do you how do you deal with that stigma that kind of comes with this? Or how do you how do you educate people that you you don't need to be predatory in order to do good and, and do well at the same time? Well, many of these homes will be listed on the MLS. They're pretty okay. homes, they're in good shape. So these folks kind of self-select. They're people today are much savvier than they were even five or 10 years ago, before the internet, they call it BI, before the internet, because they, they know that they have a property that's, they can either fix it up and do all the things and get it ready to sell on the MLS. That's a choice they can make, or they can call an investor. And they are very much aware that they're going to get less than retail for the property. So they know coming in that there's a give and take. If you're calling an investor, it's going to be about the ease, the convenience, the quick sale. Whereas if you want to do the things to fix the property up, and we're talking about distressed property, which a lot of older folks, they put a new furnace and a new roof on the house, and they have metal cabinets from the 1970s or orange shag carpet. Oh, so I, if, that's I'm, that? thinking, I'm thinking about my mom. <laughs> yes. Bless her soul. She yeah. passed away a few years ago. Yeah, her her property was pretty vintage. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. So vintage. I, I completely, yeah. <laughs> I completely <laughs> relate to that. Yeah. So they come kind of pre-selected. Mm. Now sometimes they're on the fence and they'll say. I think I'll try to list the property. And if that doesn't work, I'll contact you. And I always tell these people, I want what's best for you. Mm. If you can sell your property on the MLS, I'm 100% for that. But if you decide to go a different route, I'd love to be your plan B. So I just leave the door open. I tell them what, how we can help. And the other sticking block with these folks is often that, as you might know, I call elderly people, if they're not hoarders, they're keepers. They (laughs) keep. They keep butter tubs, newspapers. <laughs> they they have sorry, a thing. I'm laughing because this is my mother. <laughs> <laughs> little pieces of Reynolds wrap, you know, things like that. And the, yeah. the family looks around. They look for valuables. They look for photos, mementos. And then one day they just say, look, I'll come back next week. Yeah. And then next week they say, no, I'm too, I'll come back next week. Yeah. So if you can offer to let them walk away from what's left in the house. Take what you want and we'll take care of the rest. They don't have to deal with the guilt over throwing away mom's prized sofa or it's, whatever it's a it big is. Deal. It's, it's, it's a, a big deal. There's a lot of mental baggage yeah. that's, mm-hmm. that holds on. This is so cool, Sharon. So what, just out of curiosity from the, the marketing side of things, mm-hmm. what are you doing to generate these kind of probate leads these days? Because it sounds like, are you... Are you proactively approaching people or are you encouraging them to approach you? What's what's kind of the style that works the best? Well, in my course, Probate Investing Simplified, I lay out the marketing strategy and the thought process and the mindset behind it. Mm-hmm. When people open the probate, it might be two weeks or 12 months past when someone has passed away. Mm-hmm. So they've already made the decision of when they're ready. And when they open that estate, they're saying, I'm ready to sell the property. From there, I use a very soft touch marketing campaign, direct mail campaign that says what we do. And I'm upfront about, you know, we I know about your situation, but here's how we can help you. And we'll be here when you're ready. That's the overreaching message It's very soft touch. You mail everybody every month. In, in the U.S., I don't know how it is in Canada, but the leads are somewhere. Here, 
They're in the old-fashioned newspaper once a month. Many areas have them online. God bless you. If you live in New Jersey or Fort Lauderdale, you're going to have to go to the courthouse and get the leads. Mm. But most places you can get the leads, they're readily available. It's public, public record. So once you understand that they're ready to move forward with the process, once they open that probate, then that's your timeline. You don't have to worry about anything else. And you really need not a lot of information to work in probates. You need the name and address of the deceased and the name and address of the executor or the personal representative. That's and really so, it. So are you typically marketing to both addresses just, no. just to be safe? No, just to the executor. Just the personal, yeah, just the executor, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they are the decision maker. They are the only person that can sign on the dotted line of that real estate contract. I tried an experiment of mailing to all the heirs, which was very costly. Mm. And they all gave it to whoever in their family they thought was in charge. Like Dave's in charge of this family. We'll give it all to Dave. Right. They don't want to deal with it. Exactly. They don't want to deal with it. So it's, it's really a waste of money. And if the executor is not the point person for the property, and sometimes let's say it was you and you, you're very busy. You might say, my sister she doesn't work. She loves doing this stuff. I'll let her meet everybody. That's right. perfectly fine, but she can't sign to sell the house. Right. That's so the, yeah, just, you're going direct to the decision maker, the, the right. signature writer. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and from a branding, a marketing and branding perspective, anytime you can get it in front of a seller, mm-hmm. it's always better for you than if you have to go through an agent. I love agents. I you know work with agents. But getting in front of a seller, you have the oh, chance to show who you are. Definitely. Wow. That's another fantastic idea. Hold on to that thought for a sec. We'll be right back. Now, are you a real estate investor who's run out of cash or credit to grow your portfolio? Are you looking to grow your portfolio using other people's money and raising capital? Well, I want to show you how to raise six figures or more in six weeks or less at my upcoming Investor Attraction Workshop. You can get your ticket and find out all about it at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. We're going to spend a full day taking a deep dive into this roadmap that I've used to raise millions for my deals, and I've helped other people just like you cumulatively raise hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for their deals as well. So again, you can check that out at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. And as a loyal listener to the podcast, you'll get 50% off your ticket when you use the discount code PODCAST. That's right. Discount code PODCAST at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. See you at the next workshop. So Sharon, I know branding and marketing are a big part of what you do as well. And it sounds like this is a very soft touch kind of a process. Mm -hmm. Do you actually call people up or you just really, you send out the mailer, you follow up. It's like a, it's a drip kind of a sequence. And I don't Mm -hmm. want you to give away all your secret sauce, but I'm imagining that you do this for a number of months you know, and and quite often it probably takes a, a number of touches before people respond mm-hmm. to you. So are you proactively calling these folks? Or are you just relying on the the mailers to create that curiosity, get them to call you? I'm relying on the mailers. Now yeah. that's in conjunction with having a website so that they can check you out because yeah. they are going to check you out. Definitely. The days of them just calling from a mail piece are over. Mm-hmm. But the mail piece itself, you should send them uh, tricky mail pieces like these fancy envelopes that look like invitations. Yeah. And I don't advocate sending them postcards. You need to remember somebody's mom or dad or yeah. somebody close to them. Yeah. So don't send them a postcard. They hate it when they get that. Send them a, a computer-generated mail merge letter that says, Dear Dave, or whatever. And then 
you start to build this relationship with them over time. Now, probates in general in this kind of a market, most of them will be over and done in 12, 14, 15 months. Mm -hmm. So you mail everybody every month. And it's consistency because your competition, 90% of the people will stop on or before the third mailing. And that's what you need to hang on to. Nice. They're going to get in there and they don't get a bunch of deals the first month or two. They're going, they're out, they're gone. So yeah. you've got to be the last man standing. Question for you here, Sharon, because you've been teaching and training people about this for a long mm -hmm. time. What's kind of like the minimum market size for this to be viable, in your opinion? Like how many, what size population do you need to have enough lead flow, so to speak, to make this doable? Well, that's an interesting question because I was just up in Chicago where they have eight or nine million people, something like that. They have 800 plus leads a month. In my market, Louisville, Kentucky, by the time it's, which is a million-ish with, with the suburbs, we have, by the time we filter out houses that are too low, too high, we would be lucky to get 80, 70, 80 leads a month. Mm. But these are people that must sell. Right. So you kind of put it into perspective. If you, with direct mail marketing, you're building momentum, 81% of your deals or thereabout will come at or beyond your fifth mailing. Wow. So with probates, every month you're adding a new group of people that need your help. So you're going to have in a few months, every month is going to be someone's month five. Yeah. Now I've gotten deals off of one mailing, the second mailing, but historically that's the way direct mail works so stay in the game mail everybody every month you have to check your list every so often because some of them will be sold some will, people will decide to list the property then they may unlist it so you've got to do a little bit of that but if you're in a small market you've also got less investors well you got yeah probably got no competition for sure probably none yeah, yeah. so let's just say if you don't mind if you're open to it let's sure. unwrap your situation in Louisville, you've got 80 qualified leads coming in a month. So month mm -hmm. one, 80 letters are going out. Month two, there's 80 more. So now you're at and, 160. Mm -hmm. Month three, adding 80. You know, so so every month it's quite a machine going out, and you're not well. Right. So two things. At what point do you take people off your list? Is you know, obviously if the property gets sold somewhere else, they're getting taken off the list. But is there like a time frame where you say, okay, let's not mail this batch anymore, that it's it's done? Only if they say that, call and say like a family member's taking the house. My rule is I mail everybody every month as long as the house is available. Okay. Now, when you get down the road a year, nine months, 10 months, a year, your numbers will be shrinking from those that first group of people. So yeah. they'll be shrinking. Yeah. So, so yeah, what, what does that usually look like? Just rough numbers out of those 80 from month one at month six, how many are left standing month 12, give or take? Do you, probably you know? most of them at month six, there'll be a few sold because people drag their feet. Yeah. You know, they, they just drag their feet. Even after they open the estate, they're often not quite ready to deal with the stuff in the house yeah. Yeah. or that. So Somewhere between six months and a year, people get a lot more motivated. You'll buy a lot of houses of right about a year when the, the probate attorney calls and says, look, you have got to file a tax return on this estate. What the heck? What are you doing? You know, mm -hmm. so there are 
legalities there, and there are kind of timelines while you can get extensions on taxes. They have to file an estate federal tax return in, in the U.S. So there are things that have to happen. And sometimes you'll get a panic call from somebody and they say, I need to sell like this week. Can you can you buy my house this week? <laughs> I can do that. Yeah. So but you'll get down and somebody asked me about stragglers the other day. What if you get down and you've got three people, four people from a year ago or 15 months ago? I said, well, the property's still available. I go in and check and What's, it's costing me a buck a month, so yeah. I don't care, 80 cents a month. Yeah. That's the interesting thing about this. When I started probates in 2008, it cost about $1.50 for a white mail merge computer-generated letter, and stamps were maybe 30 cents or something. Today, when stamps are, I don't even know what they are, 50-some cents here, you can get that same letter. You can outsource the whole thing for about 80, 85 cents a letter. And wow. that's with stamps costing 50 some cents. You cannot do it in house as cheap as you can outsource it. And your mail will go out every month. What a revelation. It actually gets done. We don't get Versus us it. relying on ourselves or, or right. getting a batch of people together to lick stamps. Right. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, listen, I remember those days. Oh, I remember too. the days. I wasn't doing was, this, but I was doing other direct mail stuff. It was it a nightmare. Was, it was too expensive. I yeah. was unless you, you know, then postcards came along, which you can use for pretty much anything but probates. Yeah. But back to your original question, yeah, don't don't cold call people. Yeah. It makes them sad, and yeah. they will write your name on the refrigerator so that when one day you send them direct mail, they go, ah, yeah, no, he called me. Very very cool. So Sharon, in your market with this just constant, consistent, relentless mailing going out in a classy fashion. What is that translating to approximately in, in closed deals that you're doing per year, focusing on probate? Well, some of that depends on how good you are at closing it as an individual. But I, you know, you can close it if you're if you build out a list again using my market as an example. If you can uh-huh. get a, we can never get our probate list much over eight or nine hundred because we could have gotten it higher, but they simply were homes that were too nice and too expensive. People that should have done estate planning, but didn't, or they were too low end. So we picked areas, zip codes and all of that. So we would have maybe eight, nine hundred leads, maybe a little more at any given time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can earn a good living. You can pull a number of deals out of there every month. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. So that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm looking at. It's like, if you're doing a good job with this, what's kind of like the rule of thumb per X number of leads, you yeah. should be, once you get everything up and running, you should be able to close Y amount of deals. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it depends on, you know, Ed, what I found over time is, especially for people that are maybe newer, but the rule is still kind of true. If you get 20 calls, if you're getting a, say, one to 2% return and you get 20 calls, you might look and it's been my experience that you might look at four properties and you might buy one or two. Nice. Okay. Well, that's so those, it, are, those are some good ballpark figures to kind of keep in mind mm-hmm. there. So Sharon, when you are buying these properties, you and your students, what are you typically doing with them? What's Is it basically just a flip? Are you holding on to them as rentals? What's typically the strategy that you and your, your students are doing? Well, they do all of them. You know, you're a buy and hold guy. And all the years I wholesaled, I, I look back on those years and went, holy smokes. 
should have kept some of those yeah, more yeah, of those properties. I, I did creative yeah. stuff for a long time too. So oh, yeah. I know, I know. So we won't look back. But <laughs> if you if you are a bond hold investor, probates are great. They like I said, they often have had some of the big things done. It it'll it will be cosmetic. Hmm. If you're a flipper, if you need to wholesale, and I think everybody certainly in the first years should be a whole should wholesale the deals that don't fit their portfolio and get those chunks of cash pay down your rentals or have some backup money for your flips or whatever that looks like but i think they work for any strategy except for creative finance very difficult to do anything creative with them because the properties have to be sold to close the estate yeah. the heirs want their money can you yeah, imagine for sure. they want <laughs> <For> it <sure. laughs> Sharon, this is fascinating. If people want to find out more about you, about your training on probate, perhaps about your podcast, where can they go? What should they do? Well, they can come over to the blog, the Louisville Gals Real Estate blog.com. They can find the podcast, Let's Talk Real Estate Investing on iTunes or anywhere they listen. But everything is linked off of the blog, including my course, Probate Investing Simplified, where I make it really simple to understand what seems like a confusing topic. Very good. Sharon, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dave. All right, everybody, take care, and we'll see you on the next episode. Well, hey there, thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. Again, InvestorAttractionBook.com. Take care.